just want you to see how even when Paul is so much as saying hello, what he's really trying to do is to get the hearts and minds of God's people focused on Christ and his glory. He just kind of can't help himself. And so it's my prayer that we would all be of that same spirit, be that same way that whatever conversation we may be in, we're just so eager to get to Christ, to tell others about him, that it just comes out of us in every way. And specifically, what you can see as Paul is striving to point people to Christ is he's first explaining to them how they first came to know Christ, and then from there, he's telling them of the great treasures that they have in store in Christ Jesus. And so look for those two things in particular, how they came to Christ, and then what wealth they have in Christ Jesus. And then finally, Paul's going to say a few words about his own ministry, which again, I believe is something for us ourselves to emulate. Since we have a longer text this morning, we're just going to be reading that one text. And so, uh, Anna, I'll go ahead and invite you up right now to read to us Colossians 1, 1 to 2, 5. Colossians 1, 1 through chapter 2, verse 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all perseverance and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. 
And although you were previously alienated in hostile an attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am supplementing what is lacking in Christ's affliction in behalf of his body, which is the church. I was made a minister of this church according to the commission from God granted to me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles is. The mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have in your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all of those who have not personally seen my face, that their, that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love, and that they would attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments, for even though I am absent in body, I am nevertheless with you in spirit rejoicing to see your orderly manner and the stability of your faith in Christ. Amen. Well, as you can tell, we have a a longer stretch of Colossians to go through this morning, but sometimes I do think it can be beneficial, especially in the Apostle Paul's writings, to actually go a bit quicker. Uh, Somebody once compared reading the Apostle Paul to riding on a bike, that it's actually easier to ride the bike when you go faster, and when you go really slow, you're more likely to fall off one side or the other. And Colossians itself is actually not a long book. It's just four chapters. I think you can read through the whole book out loud in probably about 15 minutes. And so I would encourage all of you to take some time to just read through the whole book once or twice over. And I think when you do that, you can get such a better picture of what Paul is saying in each verse than simply trying to slow down and take it a verse at a time. And so even though there are riches here that could be very much explored verse by verse, I also believe that there are great riches in store through looking at this book in a bit more broader scope. Now, again, these this first chapter and the first five verses of the second chapter are really just Paul's greeting to the church at Colossae. And part of his greeting is also introducing himself. The church in Colossae had never met Paul before, as Paul himself says. And so he's also kind of giving them a word about himself so they know who he is and kind of what his credentials are. But the real focus of this book of Colossians is that 
Paul wants these Colossians to see how Christ alone really is sufficient for everything that these Christians need. You see, even though these Christians in Colossae were trying to follow Christ, they were starting to go astray bit by bit. There were other teachers that had come into the church, and even though we aren't really entirely clear on what these other teachers were saying, one thing is clear is that they were saying that in order to be mature in Christ, you really need to learn some things besides Christ. So you need to learn about certain rituals, you need to learn about certain holy days, you need to learn about certain practices, and when you know all these other things, then you can really be mature in Christ. And so what they were advocating for was Christ plus something else. That yes, you're a Christian, but after being a Christian, you need something else to go on to full maturity in Christ Jesus. And so in response to that teaching, the Apostle Paul was writing to say, no, you do not need anything beyond Christ, in Christ, and in him alone. You have everything that you need for life and godliness, that the same way that you came to know Christ is the same way that you continue to walk in him. So anytime you think that, okay, yes, I'm a Christian, I know the gospel, I've been saved— Never then think that, okay, I need to learn something else now. I need to move on to something else. Rather, what you need more than anything else, beloved, is to go deeper and deeper into that salvation that has already been won. And so this morning, for this message, I want to try to address the question of what is a Christian? I want to argue that a Christian really is simply someone that has come to meet Christ in this way. And that being a Christian in itself is enough to know God in the most deep possible way. That we never have to go past our identity of being a Christian. Rather, we just need to go deeper into it. That's one reason why here at Providence Church, we do our very best to not be sectarian toward other churches, to not say that we as a church are somehow very unique and very special, very different from other churches. Rather, we just want to be a Christian church, just like every other faithful church, I believe, just wants to be a Christian church. That's not a shallow identity or a small thing. Rather, that contains all the depth, all the riches of Christ Jesus that God has stored up for us. And so in this message, I want to frame this question of what is a Christian with reference to the following four points. And I did draw a little picture of this so that uh, it's easier for you to visualize. Um, I want to look at the beginning of being a Christian. So how is it that you get into Christ? I want to look at the depths of being a Christian. So that's the the far side of the circle. Where do you go after being in Christ? I want to look at the world of being a Christian. That's the circle that you can see all around it. And then I want you to see the work of being a Christian. Now, we're just going to take these things in the order that Paul addresses them in this greeting that he has to the church at Colossae. So first, we are going to go to the beginning. And then from the beginning, we're going to jump to the depths And then from the depths, we're going to jump to the world of being a Christian. And then we're going to close on the work. So that line between the beginning and the depths. The work is what gets us from that very beginning of the faith to the very depths of the faith. And so that's where we're going now. Now, let's look first at the beginning of being a Christian. So this is Colossians 1, verses 3 to 8. Let me read these verses and then we'll dive into them. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So first of all, look at verse 4, which describes your faith in in Christ Jesus, and the love that you have for all the saints. Now, I think this is kind of the most basic definition that Scripture could give for what does it mean to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means you have faith in Jesus Christ, and you have love for all the saints. You have to have those two things to truly be born again, to truly be a Christian. Faith in Christ simply means that you believe in him, you trust him, you you take him at his word, you believe he is trustworthy, you can believe that he does what he says he can do, that is what it means to have faith in Christ. And second, because of that, you love the saints, you love the other people of God. If you're lacking either of those elements, it is hard from a biblical perspective to call you a Christian. But the question is, how do you get there? How is it that you get this faith in God and this love for other saints? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 5. He says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you, he- you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So this is kind of step one to how is it that you come to Christ? You have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So step one is you hear the gospel, or as the Apostle Paul also calls it, the word of truth. So you first hear the gospel. And then I want you to jump down to verse 6 which says, which has come to you is indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it. So there's that word again. You heard the gospel and see the second step, understood the grace of God in truth. So this is the way that we get faith in God and we get love for the saints. We first hear the gospel and then after we hear the gospel, we come to understand the gospel or we understand the grace of God in truth, as verse 6 says. And understanding the gospel means that we become just blown away how God would have grace upon us. That is, we become blown away by the fact that even though we were haters of God, even though we were sinners through and through, that God would nevertheless show grace in Jesus Christ. And so we come to understand that message. And it's when we understand that message that the first reaction of our hearts should be faith in God. Right? The, so the way it works is at one time we did not have faith in God. We did not trust him. We did not think he was trustworthy. We did not think he could do what he said. To give one example, my own example, before I came to Christ, I was very much a prodigal. I thought that God was just a killjoy, that he didn't have my best interest at hearts. Really, he was just a divine rule maker who was simply trying to make my life hard. And that if I really wanted to have a good life, then I just better live however I want to live. And when I do that, then I can really be happy. So I did not trust God. I trusted myself. I trusted my own judgment. 
But then when I heard the gospel, when I heard the word of truth, and I realized that God was not just a divine rule maker trying to make my life hard, rather he was the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to me while I was a sinner and he died for me and he rose again from the dead so that I could have life eternal, suddenly I realized that God really did want my joy. He really did have my best interest at heart, that I didn't need to trust in my own wisdom and my own understanding. Rather, I could trust God because he cared for me and he was good and he would do what was right. And so hearing the gospel caused this faith to rise up in my heart to understand that God is good. And simultaneously, it caused me to have a love for the other saints of God. Because again, when I see the love that Christ poured out for me in the cross, I realized, how could I not love others? How could I not love everyone else for whom Christ died? If Christ so loved me and died for me, how could I not love the fellow saints in the light? And so in that way, Paul is saying in these first verses that you heard the gospel and then you understood the grace of God and then the way that the Apostle Paul describes that whole process that I just spoke of is in verse 6. Again, when he says, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. That it is the gospel. What is bearing fruit? What bears fruit in our lives? What causes us to be obedient to God? What causes us to have faith in him, to love other saints? It is the gospel itself. It bears fruit in our heart. As we come to understand more and more the depth of our sin, the depth of God's love and his redemption for us, then we come to bear fruit in our lives, trusting God fully taking him at his word, knowing we can do whatever it is that he commands us to do, and we will not lose anything because God is able to take care of us, and he's able to fully repay whatever it is that we may lose by serving him. And so the gospel itself persuades us of this, and it bears fruit in our lives in faith in God and in love toward the other saints. And so this is what it means to be a Christian. It means you have heard the gospel. It means you've understood the gospel. And it means that you've understood it in such a way that it is bearing fruit in your life, in faith to God, and in love for the saints. When that has happened in your life, when you find your heart just resonating with faith in God, desiring to follow him, when you find your heart just consumed with concern for others around you and wanting to love them, that's when you know that Christ has indeed entered your heart and you are no longer living for yourself, but for God. You are indeed a Christian. And so first, Paul writes to this church in Colossae saying how they have become Christians, saying what the gospel is doing in them and why he is so thankful for him. But notice the Apostle Paul does not stop there. He does not stop and say, I'm so glad you have faith in Christ and you have love for the saints. There's really nothing more for you to do. Just pat yourself on the back and you can all go home. Rather, he launches into this prayer in verses 9 to 12. And this is what I am calling the depths of the Christian life. So the entryway is this faith in God and is this love for the other saints. But the depths is what we hear in this prayer. So read with me Colossians 1, verses 9 to 12. 
He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So he's, he's praying, he's urging them onward toward greater things, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Now, beloved, this is just an amazing and a profound prayer. And most specifically, what I want you to recognize in this prayer is just how many times the Apostle Paul uses the word all or every. He wants something for us to the uttermost. He doesn't want us to have just a little bit of God, just a little taste of the goodness of Christ. No, he wants us to have it all. And so beginning in verse 9, the Apostle Paul says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he doesn't want you to have just a little knowledge of his will. You know, he doesn't want your glass to be half full in the knowledge of his will. Like sometimes you know what God wants for you to do, but sometimes you're just not going to know. No, he wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. He wants you to always know exactly what God wants you to do so that you can walk in his ways. And then again, the phrase immediately following that, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants you to have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He doesn't want you to be a baby in terms of your spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants you to know the depths of God. He wants you to understand God in a profound way and to know God's will. And you can see the purpose that he's praying this for in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So this is the goal of his prayer. He wants all believers to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But again, Paul then immediately jumps back into this fullness that he's desiring for these Colossian Christians fully pleasing to him, fully pleasing. He doesn't want you to think that, you know, sometimes I please God, but sometimes God is angry with me. No, he wants you to know that God is fully pleased with you in Christ Jesus, that your way of life itself is fully pleasing to him. And then again, a second time in verse 10, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. So again, not just sometimes bearing good fruit, not just in some things that we do, uh, making progress for the kingdom of God, but rather in every single good work, we are bearing fruit. Again, this is the depths of what Christ is calling us to when we follow after him. And then he goes on. In verse 11, he says, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, I think what he prays for here in verse 11 might be the most staggeringly clear of all the depth prayers that he has in these verses. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So how much power does God want us to have? He wants us to have a little power or some power? No, he wants us to have all power. And then again, how much power is all power? He says, according to the working of his glorious might. According to his glorious might. So the very might that God himself has, the very might that is at work by God to govern the earth, to make the dead come to life. 
to bring about all of his good purposes. That is the might that the Apostle Paul is praying for in each and every Colossian believer, that we might have all power according to his glorious might. And then again, one last time we see in verse 11, for all endurance and patience with joy. So again, how much endurance is stored up for you in Christ Jesus? Just a a little bit, just some? No, all endurance. And it actually even says that all this endurance is to the end of patience with joy, giving thanks. So all those words modify that word endurance. So how do we have endurance? We have endurance with patience, with joy, giving thanks. So we're not just slogging through the Christian life, hoping that we can make it to the end. No, all along in this endurance that God is giving to us, we have joy. We are giving thanks. We are patient. This is what all endurance means. So, beloved, this is the depth of what God has for you in Christ Jesus. He really does want you to have all this power. He really does want you to have all this knowledge of his will. He really does want you to have all this wisdom and understanding. He really does want you to be fully pleasing to him. There is no upward cap on what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to be united to Christ, beloved. And when you are united to Christ, you have all that Christ has. There is no limit to the joy, to the peace, to the power, to the grace, to the good fruit that can come from your life as you are united to Jesus Christ. And that's why, immediately following this prayer, Paul jumps into what I'm going to call the world of being a Christian. So he said, how you became a Christian in the beginning He's now prayed that you would know the depths of what it means to be a Christian. But again, how can you get to these depths? Where do these depths come from? They come from Christ. And so verse 15 starts that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And Paul is very soon going to go into just how glorious Christ is. But before I read all of those verses, I just want to offer a brief argument for why I call this the world of being a Christian. Another phrase you could say is the sphere of being a Christian, right? What's the, what's the place wherein we act as a Christian? How do we do everything in the Christian life? Now, again, the book of Colossians, one of its main purposes is to argue that all of it, all the Christian life should take place within Christ himself. And I just want to point you to two verses in Colossians that make this clear where Paul is using seemingly spatial words to speak about Christ Jesus. And so look at chapter 1, verse 27. It says, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So again, what is the pinnacle? What is the ultimate of the Christian life? It is Christ in you. Again, this spatial word that I know is hard for our minds to grasp and to fully appreciate, but these are the words that Scripture uses to tell us what our hope is. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then I think almost even more profound than this is when you go to Colossians 2, look at verses 9 and 10. 
It says, for in him, that is in Jesus Christ, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Christ is not less than God. Christ is equal with God. And then verse 10, it says, and you have been filled in him. You have been filled in him. So in Christ, in whom has all the fullness of God, the fullness of deity is dwelling bodily. You yourself are now full in him. You're full in the one who himself has the fullness of deity. We are in Christ. We are full in Christ. You can think of Christ as this huge ocean that's full of water. And we are like this little teacup that's been dropped into the ocean. And we now have all this fullness of the ocean that is Christ swirling around us. We are in Christ and everything that is Christ is ours. And so Christ himself is this world in which we live as a Christian. We have nothing as a Christian apart from him. And everything we have as a Christian is in him. And so with that mindset, let's go now to verses 15 to 22. So it says that he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Beloved, these are the treasures that are accessible to us when we have faith in Christ, when we believe him. All this majesty of Christ that has just been described is now ours when we are in him. And I want you to see especially three movements that the Apostle Paul goes through as he describes the glory of Christ in this way. The first way that he describes the glory of Christ in verses 15 to 17 is that Christ is glorious over every created thing. So this is talking about pre-redemption, just in all of creation, whether it's natural creation, whether it's lost sinners, whether it's huge stars billions of miles away from here. This is what verses 15 to 17 says, that Christ himself is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So beloved, as you study anything in the natural world, as you study any aspect of God's creation, you are not moving beyond the bounds of Christ Jesus. 
Rather, everything belongs to Christ, both by the fact that he was the one who created it all and by the fact that he is Lord of all. And so there's no aspect of anything that we learn or study where we should see ourselves as somehow moving beyond what Christ already owns and what we are to take captive for Christ himself. Beloved, there's nothing whatsoever that we have to fear as Christians taking a good, hard look at and coming to understand in a deeper and deeper way. This is a bit of a sidetrack, but there's this big narrative that goes on in our culture that science and religion are somehow opposed to one another, that you can't really be a good Christian and really love science. But beloved, this, these verses alone explode that very notion that everything in all creation, every created thing that you could possibly study only exhibits to display the glory and the supremacy of Christ. So I know this applies to many of you who do not work your nine to five in some type of religious profession. You you work your nine to five in some so-called secular profession. And yet what this is telling you is that even over whatever your so-called secular profession may be, that there is wisdom for you in that work in Christ Jesus. And that you can work your secular job in such a way as to show that Christ really is Lord and has wisdom for you in whatever it is you may do. And so, beloved, I encourage you to, whatever your job may be, not say this job is somehow separate from Christ, that I have to go to work, and then when I come home, well, then I can put on my religious face, or then I can follow after Jesus more fully. No, when you go to work, you can serve Jesus, because he owns every type of profession. When you come home, you can serve Jesus. When you're in church, you serve Jesus. Christ is Lord over all. We do everything in the realm of Christ Jesus. But that is not where the Apostle Paul stops. Jesus is Lord of all creation, but after that, he makes clear that Jesus is also Lord of redemption. So starting in verse 18, it says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so, beloved, what this tells us is that anyone who wants to know God, anyone who wants to have peace with God, anyone who wants to walk with God, there is only one way. That it is only in Christ Jesus that all things have been reconciled. And nothing has been reconciled apart from Christ Jesus. That is why, beloved, in our faith especially, we do not need to study anything apart from Christ Jesus. We don't need to study other world religions to see what tips and tricks they might have for us as we follow after God. No, there is only one who has reconciled God and man. And that is the person of Christ Jesus. It says that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is referring to the fact that we as Christians believe that the day is coming when the dead will be resurrected, just as Christ himself was resurrected from the dead. That's why he's called the firstborn, because he's already done it, and we're simply to come later. And so he is the firstborn from the dead. We ourselves will be raised. And when that happens, Christ will truly be shown to be preeminent over all things. 
And so, beloved, as we go and speak to anyone, whether they are lost or whether they are in Christ, we know that we can point them more deeply and more fully to Christ because Christ Jesus has indeed reconciled all things to himself. And as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are therefore ambassadors of reconciliation on the part of Christ. We seek to have everything on earth reconciled to Christ Jesus. We don't want anything at all to be opposed to Christ Jesus. Whether that's a person or an idea, we want to take everything captive to Christ because Christ alone has made reconciliation between God and man. And then finally, in verses 21 and 22, we see what should really motivate this desire to see everything in all the universe reconciled to Christ Jesus. And what should motivate that desire is the fact that we ourselves have been reconciled. And so in verse 21, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So beloved, you first were reconciled to Christ Jesus if you have trusted in him. If you have love for the saints, you have been reconciled to Christ Jesus. And because you know the joy of that reconciliation, because you know the joy of what it means to be holy and blameless in the presence of God, you therefore strive to reconcile all things to Christ Jesus because you know that he is Lord of all things. Beloved, I hope you see how this truly can encompass every last effort of your life. That even in your leisure time, even in your downtime, you can be thinking how you want to take downtime so that you can be more effective in the service of Christ to glorify his name. And that even in your leisure, you can ask the question, Lord, how is it that you can even use this leisure time to make me be more refreshed in you, to be more refreshed by your glory, by your might, by what you have done? I got a great experience of that over the last couple days, just going out camping and just being in God's creation and being able to see the beauty of the trees and the hills and the rivers and all these things that God has created. It just has a way of restoring your soul, remembering that Christ is indeed a good creator and he is a beautiful creator. And so even in leisure, you come to see more and more of his majesty. And so, beloved, whatever we do in the Christian life, let us take it captive to Christ. Whether we think it's a religious thing or not a religious thing, there is nothing that we can do apart from Christ or outside of Christ. And lastly, this leads Paul into speaking of the work of being a Christian, the work of being a Christian. So the reality that we want to see every Christian have is that reality that Paul prayed for in verses 9 to 14. We want everyone to know all that, that fullness, that depth that Paul prayed for. And we want everyone to see Christ as exalted as Paul just spoke. And how do we see people in that way? How do we see people grow in that way? Well, We work. And so we see Paul saying, especially in verses 28 and in 2 verse 1, 
In 28, Paul says, him we proclaim. So this is what Paul is doing. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then look at the beginning of verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So this is Paul's life. He says, I am toiling, I am struggling, I am working. And then again in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. So this is a window into the Apostle Paul's inner life. He knows the power of Christ. He knows that Christ has died for all who are his. He knows God's sovereignty over all things. And yet, even though he knows those things, he still says, For this I toil, I struggle. I have a great struggle for you. And beloved, this should be our sense of obligation as those who have been redeemed by Christ Jesus is that we all struggle for one another's faith. The first way in which Paul's struggle, we see in verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. When Paul wrote this, he was imprisoned. And so he's speaking specifically, I think, of the fact that he is suffering in prison. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body, that is the church. Now, what does this mean that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? I think it simply means that in his suffering, it is a way of presenting the suffering of Christ to those in whose presence he is suffering. So, for example, those prison guards that he has, whoever is watching him in his prison, they were not able to see Christ crucified on the cross. But what they are able to see is Paul here in prison suffering joyfully. And when they see his suffering, they get a little glimpse of the suffering at Christ on their behalf. And so this is the first way that we work and we toil for one another is we embrace suffering on one another's behalf and on behalf of the lost. Now, it doesn't have to be great and enormous suffering, right? Most of us are not going to have the privilege of going to prison for Christ Jesus, But we can say, you know what, I really was hoping for a free night tonight, but I know this brother or sister could really use a meal. And so instead of just relaxing tonight, I'm going to make a meal. I'm going to suffer in that way, and I'm going to bring it over to them. And when you do something even as simple as that, it's a way of presenting in your own suffering that suffering love that Christ portrayed for us. And so as we ourselves just embrace this call to suffering in day-to-day life, just putting others in front of ourselves, which is always a hard thing to do, but as we embrace that, we are presenting the love of Christ to others around us. We are filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions so that others can see the love of Christ. So that's the, the first way that we are to toil for one another's faith and for the faith of the lost as we fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction by suffering ourselves on behalf of others. But then Paul gives us some other ways as well that we can work for one another's faith. Paul says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. So pause right there for a moment. This is what Paul feels his calling is. His calling is to make the word of God fully known. 
And this is what tells us that regardless of how you're striving to encourage one another in the faith, regardless of how you're trying to call sinners to repent and to trust in Christ, it all must be done by the word of God. It is the word of God that gives life. It is the word of God that when it is presented can cause faith to rise. Again, just as we saw at the very beginning in verses 3 to 8, it is when they heard the gospel and they understood the gospel, that then faith rose in their hearts. And so we present the word of truth, the word of God. We make it fully known. And then Paul defines this more precisely. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's what we want to see formed in other people. We want to see Christ formed in other people. And again, how do we do that? Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Beloved, there's a reason why we spend so much time when we gather reading God's word and proclaiming God's word because it is precisely through this proclamation of Christ It is precisely through warning each other and teaching one another that we actually come to maturity in Christ Jesus. And so it is through this very simple sort of word ministry, right? As you know God's word, as you understand something from God's word, and as you share it with someone else, that is the way in which they are going to grow into maturity in Christ, beloved. It sounds almost stupidly simple. It sounds like, God, why would you use that means to do something as glorious and as amazing as us being filled with the very fullness of Christ Jesus? And yet this is the way that God has chosen to work. Through proclamation, through warning, through teaching, it is by these means that we gain maturity in Christ Jesus. And then again, as verse 29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so Paul is explaining how in all of his ministry, what he's trying to do is he's trying to show people how all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge of God are stored up in Christ Jesus. And as he proclaims, as he teaches, God himself is doing this work to build up his church into full maturity, into everything that Christ has in store for us. And so, beloved, I encourage you, I exhort you to have the same attitude that the Apostle Paul himself had, to struggle and toil in this way, to do your own small work of proclaiming Christ, of warning others, of teaching everyone, so that we can all grow into full maturity in Christ Jesus. And again, beloved, what does it mean to have full maturity into Christ Jesus? 
Well, it means, beloved, that we have all of God's might within us. We have all of God's wisdom and understanding within us. It means that we have every single good thing that God has created is all sanctified for us so that we know that in Christ we have all that we need for life and godliness, that in Christ we can have the highest of joys. Beloved, this is our great hope. Not in anything beyond Christ, not in anything better than Christ, but in Christ Jesus himself. Knowing just how glorious he is over all creation, knowing how glorious he is in the work of redemption, knowing how glorious he is in saving us ourselves. And because of all this glory that we see, we overflow with joy. We overflow with this labor of love as we proclaim this work to everyone whom we meet. So I ask you to join me as I myself imitate Paul. I ask you to read through this book of Colossians as Paul models this for us. What does it look like to warn and to teach others who Christ is? And beloved, as we do that, I trust that God can do a great work by his spirit in us so that we ourselves can exhort and teach and warn and encourage one another, proclaiming Christ to one another so that we may gain all this fullness that God has in store. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we do stand in awe of the wealth that is in Christ Jesus, of the power that is in Christ Jesus, of the majesty, of the beauty that is in Christ Jesus. God, we want to know him more. We want to know how all of our lives can come under his reign, can come under his rule, can be lived in him so that no thing are we doing in our own strength or apart from him. God, I pray that we would become fully Christian as we see who Christ is, as we see what he has in store for us, or that we would dive deeper and deeper into the wealth of the gospel as we come to know you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.